This is NRL Boom Rookies. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of NRL Boom Rookies. Alongside me, as always, he fought the law and the law won. It's Mitch Doyle. G'day everybody. And rocking the Casbah, it's Dale Roots. Hi, hi. <laughs> and I've uh, snuck some class references in there for, our, for the benefit of our guest today, uh, John Sharkey III. Hello. Hello everybody. How are you guys doing? So you might notice from his accent that John is uh, not not from around these parts, no. and, uh, and yet um, and yet loves the great game of rugby league as much as the rest of us. So John, I guess we have you on today to talk all things, you know, sports, Philadelphia, punk rock, all that stuff. But I guess yeah. first of all, how did you become a rugby league fan? Well, I moved. Well, my wife is Australian, so that's the first mm. the first box to tick off. We met in Texas in 2008, uh, kind of like by chance on the street. Uh, and then three months later, I ended up moving to Australia. You know, I packed that up. A, that's a rocker story already, mate. You met on the street. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's pretty, you it's, moved overseas. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild. Like my, my old band, Clock Cleaner, were doing pretty well at the time too. Like I met her at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. She was on vacation. She used to work at the A&U. And uh, I was down there and I was like absconding from band were, like responsibilities when I, when I met her and um, I was in a van and I got this weird pang of anxiety. So I was like, stop, stop guys. You got to let me out. So I started walking back to where I was supposed to be. And she was outside talking to my bass player. So we got to know each other. Bada bing, bada boom. Three months later, I sold all of my records and everything I owned and moved to Australia. And then, that November we got married, you know, it started, it was a very whirlwind relationship. Um, so, but we moved to Canberra together in 2010. And at that point I wasn't um, a permanent resident yet. And there's not really many jobs you can do in Canberra unless you're like a citizen or a permanent resident. <laughs> so um, I had a lot of free time on my hands. So I thought I was going to get, it. my wife had mentioned the Canberra Raiders before she's like oh yeah I remember when I moved here in the 90s they were like gods I was like hmm let me look at this I like sports so I kind of just decided I was going to get obsessed with this team that I had no idea about or I never even watched a game of rugby league I was just like all right this is it this is what I'm going to do until I get my naturalization or I can you know become a permanent citizen and how how um how many games did it take were you hooked instantly or was it sort of a gradual thing or well, it was, it was kind of just something to pass the time. It was, this is 2010, and me and my wife drove up to Penrith for the first round of the 2010 season. She was pregnant. She was like seven and a half months pregnant with my son. We were kind of stir-crazy, so we drove up to Penrith. And uh, I remember we get out. We park right outside the stadium, and I'm thinking, this is fucking Sydney? Like, where am I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> And um, I know, I mean, I didn't understand the idea of like greater Sydney or how mm. big and how sprawling it was, but we got there. I was like, this is like Tennessee, like the steakhouse right there. And I get out and some dude in a Penrith jersey goes, mate, your wife is pregnant. That's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty brave to bring her to this away game. And I was like, oh, fucking shit. So, Cause I'm like used to, you know, in Philadelphia, if you show up, wearing like a Cowboys jersey or a Giants jersey, you get like pelted with full beer cans. So I had no idea what to expect. And this guy had like eight eyebrow rings, you know. So 
whatever. And he was playing <laughs> front row that day, actually. <laughs> it probably was, yes. Yeah, it was, it was Petro Sivanasiva. He, <laughs> he put me in a headlock. No, but, you know, I mean, and I remember walking into the into Penrith Stadium or whatever it was called then. Pepper Stadium, I think that's what the Sounds about sponsor right for that, was. For that time period, yeah. yeah. So uh, I was like, this is like a big – this is like a big high school football game. This is crazy. Cause I'm used to, you know, like, you know, like what I said, like I'm used to like monolithic NFL stadiums. Yeah. I had no frame of reference for anything NRR oriented. So, um, you know, I thought it was cool though. It was exactly what I wanted the NRL or the NFL to be as a kid, something kind of smaller based and community based. Um, it just seemed to, I don't know. I just, I, it clicked with me really early on. And then the Raiders got totally pantsed. Like they just got destroyed that game. And I was like, okay, cool. This is like a real low leverage situation I can get wrapped up in. <laughs> and, and, but, and as the crazed Philadelphia fan, you, you guys want your team to lose more than you want it to win anyway. You know, I mean, well, I'm just used to it. I'm just used to losing so much, you know? I mean, so it, was not, it, was, it wasn't a far reach for me to like a team that was really bad. So it was the, a match made in heaven, really. The Canberra made the finals that year, hey, 2010. They were like really shit for like 16, 17 rounds and then won yeah. like eight or nine of the last 10. Yeah, they won the last, finals. the last nine. It was yeah. because I moved to Canberra. That's, That's it. why I tell people, like, I was the reason, you know, the, you mean, look at it. And uh, I, was, I was there in 2010, and I moved. I moved back in 2012. They made the finals that year. And then I moved back in 2018. We all know what happened last year, so just give it a couple more seasons. <laughs> so you're why they locked the borders, mate. They can't let you yeah. out. <laughs> exactly. They were just, yeah, they don't want me to go to Queensland. Yeah. Um, so when when uh, John said that Clock Cleaner was like a legitimate band, he wasn't joking. By the way, I googled him when he was talking. So did I. You've got an active <laughs> until you've got an active until date. So you did break the band up, mate. Two thousand and eight, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you've it's got true. a you've got a Wikipedia page. The Wikipedia yeah, page. I know. That's I mean, what I like, want to talk about. I want I to talk want, about can that. I can I please read a quote yes. from the Wikipedia yes. page? Yes. Oh, this Jesus is um, <laughs> this is uh, John Sharkey talking about the iconic uh, Nirvana album. Never mind. Oh uh, boy. People think that record is like the Bible, said Sharky via phone from his North Philadelphia home. Fuck that record. It's completely <laughs> piss poor. It did not stand the test of time. I can understand the mania that it caused. And I mean, it's good because hair metal sucked, but it's almost caused another fucking trend that I have no concept <laughs> of at all. Alternative or modern rock. So Nirvana were dog shit. And I thought it was funny to name our record. Never mind. I kind of wanted people to react like, what balls? Who the fuck are these assholes? <laughs> yeah, that's that sounds like a twenty-four-year-old me. Yep. Yeah. And, and very uh, Philadelphia radio too. That was actually yeah. censored down, mate. And I like the three top songs listed on Google: are "Human Pigeon," "Missing Duck," and "Vomit." "Missing Dick," sorry, and "Vomiting Mirrors." I like yeah. "Vomiting Mirrors." That's a great title for a song. Yeah, uh, that was uh, well, that one was written about a, um, an LSD trip. I have when I was a young man. I've never really done, I was not like a drug person, but the, the one time I did LSD really affect, yeah. and I'll say the one time in case my kids hear this. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and the last paragraph of your, um, of your Wikipedia is great because in late spring 2008, singer and vocalist Sharky moved to Melbourne, Australia. Melbourne, mate. So yeah. yeah, I did. I had to go to Melbourne yeah. the, first, the first year because yeah. I asked my wife, I was like, where should we move? Should we move to whatever city, like where you're living? She's like, mm. no. <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't want to be in the same city with her family so 
Yeah, and then so even the luck- band in the lurch, but not yeah. before well, legendary performance at Bre- Brooklyn Southpaw Club. Did you guys yeah. write this yourself? <laughs> no, I didn't. I mean, <laughs> legendary it, performance. It, it would seem. Well, the the thing about that performance is there was a record made about that because we opened for a band called Negative Approach. They were like a foundation hardcore band mm. from like the early '80s, and um, their biggest song was called "Ready to Fight." Like a million bands have covered it. Um, it's 57 seconds long. So when we got asked to play that show, I thought a good idea would be to cover that song, but play it for about 15 minutes <laughs> and make a very slow, long version of that song. And um, when we did it, it was received very, uh, there was an interesting crowd response to that. I mean, I think I got a couple of full beers thrown at me. Um, after the show, there was a line of skinheads waiting to fight me outside. Uh, the band were into it. They loved it. They thought it was funny. But, yeah, the crowd, the crowd response, not so well. But somebody recorded it. Like, I think the sound guy recorded it and slipped it to me. And I gave it to my drummer. And then I moved away. And then a couple months later, there's a record of it. So well, it was pretty, uh, you know. So I guess you could call that legendary maybe i don't great. know i mean i didn't write it i swear my mom didn't write it either how how grateful are you that you did not get indoctrinated into afl in well your- the thing is my wife tried to do that to me mm. sort of uh. like the first the first thing she said to me when i moved here she's like uh oh yeah real quick you're a carlton blue su- a supporter and i was like what the fuck is that she's like don't worry you'll figure it out and living in melbourne you know i went to a few games i got into it a little bit Hmm. And, but the first thing I noticed about it was people would always also mention the NRL and how bad it was. Hmm. They're like, that game is shit. It's full of buff heads, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I didn't even know what it was. You know, I had no idea what rugby league was. Rugby in America at that time was just like, you know, like college assholes who play rugby union. So, so um, much like here, really. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yes. Rich kids. It's like a rich kid yeah. sport. Yeah. So, but yeah. So they, I, you know, AFL was tried to, you know, people tried to bestow upon me what a great superior sport it was. And uh, that was like the first time I realized like what a, they are, they have such a weird tall poppy syndrome they, when it comes to are. NRL. I, 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 t- I told people like, I, and people try to argue, but it's just not the case. Like they're the most insecure group of sports fans on the planet. Like, 100%. Just, like I, Dale and Mitch can both attest to this. Like when you go to a soccer game, like a Sydney away game in Melbourne, like you hear, like uh, we we were walking past like an AFL game that had just finished, and oh, I guess the Wog Ball's on tonight. It's like oh fucking hell! You wouldn't hear that if the NRL and the A League overlapped in Sydney. You just wouldn't. never, no. no. And that's another thing I've noticed. Like there is a bit, of, you know, you said Wog Ball. There's a bit of a racism problem when it comes to the AFL too. That wasn't a compl- that was a complete turnoff. You yeah. Know? Mm. You mean you? I know the NRL has its faults, but I mean you don't see shit like what happened to Adam Goods ever happening no, in the NRL. I, no. I cannot imagine like a crowd full of fans booing Greg Inglis for doing the Goanna. Like, no, no, not at oh, all. But maybe coming off injured at a Penrith game potentially. <laughs> anyway, we're talking to a man who understands crowd violence because yeah. uh, the, the, the <laughs> yeah. singer, sorry, the drummer for Negative Approach did say that was great. I've seen Flipper in the heyday, but never seen a band piss off a crowd like that before. So, yeah. <laughs> Anger. Yeah, it's yeah. funny because like a couple of years after that show, somebody sent me like a clip or a YouTube clip of Negative Approach being interviewed in Russia, and some the Russian interviewer asked them about that show, and they were 
really candid about it. They're like, yeah, it was, it's kind of weird. You know, the singer is really gruff and old. He's like, yeah, they just get on stage and start playing. We're like, what? And then it just goes on and on and on. Like, you know, they, they went into great painstaking detail. So I know that it made an impact on them at least. So, I, and they, they kind of understood it. So that's all I care about. Fuck the crowd. Yeah. You know? You and know. so what have been, I guess, obviously you've grown up loving sports, but since you came here, um, how, how much have the Raiders meant to you? And sort of how, how has that love grown? Especially I would imagine the last couple of years in the, in, when you factor in the rise of like Twitter and stuff where you can like constantly just talk about the sport with other people that share your views and stuff like that. It's, it's been, it's become pretty important. I mean, that first year I got wrapped up in it pretty heavily um, after it took about half the season, I started to become kind of more involved with going to games every week. I was a member. Um, but you know, over the last few years, since I live here, me and my son, we go to every game, we go to away games. We drive up to Sydney. Like we used to, I mean, before the lockdown last year, I think we went to six away games and, um, yeah, it's like the grand final last year really hurt when we lost like not just I wasn't just upset or pissed off that my team had lost it actually hurt I felt bad for the players and I've never felt like that before in my life like the Eagles have lost Super Bowls you know I was I went to the World Series in 1993 when the Phillies you know they scored the most runs in any World Series game except for the other team they were playing who scored 15 runs you know (laughs) I've been I've been to some heartbreaking games and I've seen some bad losses but last year really it, it definitely affected me. It was like the worst three hour drive back to Canberra I've ever, yeah. I could ever yeah. even imagine. But yeah, and it's, it's an important thing to me now, I guess, you know? And, and that's the other thing is right. You talk about that world series game. It's like the heartbreak of losses. It fades in time. If the team can then make it up to you, like, yeah. you know, you lost the Super Bowl with Donovan McNabb, but then you won it a few years later against the Patriots. Yeah. It's like, I was heartbroken that South lost the 2013 prelim final after being up 14. nil. then they won the grand final the yeah. next year. Like, I mean, I, I think basically every sporting heartbreak I've ever had has been rectified apart from Australia losing to Italy in the 2006 World Cup. Like that's basically, <laughs> that's the only one that can never sort yeah. of be sort of rectified or made good. So I guess, how does that loss, that Raiders loss now rank to you in terms of like the heartbreak you've experienced as a sports fan when you factor in that the Phillies and the Eagles have both won championships since I'm, like that? Yeah, I definitely like that point is not lost on me. I think about that. A fair bit because, yeah, I mean, I don't know if the Raiders are going to get back to the grand final this year. It doesn't look like it. You know, as we talk, they got their asses kicked by Penrith last night. You know, Mm -hmm. they just look like a totally different team. And it's not their fault. You know, it's just it's how it goes. Penrith were great. You know, that team is like a big, strong, hard team to play. So but I don't know when we're going to get that chance to rectify that heartbreak. You're right. Yeah, I've seen. Like the Eagles winning the Super Bowl, like almost cured me from being a Philadelphian for a second. You know, like it's true. I was almost like, man, I don't even have to care about sports, man. That was so long. <laughs> Fucking shit. This is great. But yeah, so I don't know when the Raiders are going to be able to, um, to, uh, I guess, mend my broken heart. But it's not really, it's not that important in the long run. Yeah. Um, but you've got, you said uh, you've got a, um, You've got to, you want to work your way into Noel Gallagher style punditry. Oh, 100%. (laughs) 
Dude, that dude doesn't know shit about soccer, but they have him on Sky News constantly. <laughs> Fucking hell. It's true, though. Like, you did, like, they all can attest to this. It's like back in the day when you watched SBS, the world game, they had that old Italian guy on there all the time who knew nothing, but because he was an old Italian guy, people were just like, mm, yeah. Yes. What yeah. was his name? Tony Palumbo, I think. Yeah, Tony Palumbo. And, <laughs> and but they, they had... also had Damien Lovelock, who was like an hey, old... I won't hear a bad word about Damien Lovelock. Like, yeah, big, big, big <laughs> football fan, but like, yeah, had started out as I don't know if he was a punk musician, but he was a he was a yeah the the rap- um the the um the celibate rifles mate celibate rifles yeah oh. yeah he was in the celibate rifles, but he was also a massive football fan. So like SBS would have him on to do like punditry, but he'd also do like culture stuff. So he'd talk yeah. about like traveling to games and what to expect when you get there. And but he was also just like he would do spoken word performances on the World Game show that went for six hours every Sunday for no apparent reason. Ugh. I do, I do, I do <laughs> no, I do miss that. And it is kind of refreshing to get those sort of alternative takes rather than yeah. just like throwing out the same like ex-players to rattle off the same tired cliches is what we yes. get. For the as long part. as they're not doing old ethnic uncle like they did during the World Cup in Russia. That wasn't wasn't very good from Optus, but yeah, you're right. Like you, you know, if you you're relatively, you know, you're a musically gifted man, you've got some takes about rugby league. How 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 far away can you be? I mean, I mean exactly. there aren't there aren't many talented people that have takes about rugby league in Australia. So <laughs> surely yeah. you're at least top three on the list. It, it's it's true. You hear some ribald bullshit coming out of Fox League and all those other fucking media. Oh, <laughs> as a but, as a former employee, I am more than aware. Yeah, but yeah, it's uh. Hopefully, hopefully. I mean, it, we've we've said this a thousand times, but like people being further away from the game potentially gives them a better idea of, like, it doesn't. They're not inside that insular bubble of terribly uh, agenda-driven takes, so yeah. you can kind of go both barrels. Yeah, I mean, and true. And like, I don't even really like. I've been watching the game for ten years. I still don't fully. I mean, I'm gonna admit it. I fully don't understand every single facet of it. You know, like. That's- you would be perfect for the job then. I was going to say, yeah. like, <laughs> in that game last night, like they didn't understand the offside rule for that Rapina Croker thing, yeah. like until after it was awarded no try. Yep. Like, you're not the only one that doesn't know the rules, man. It's fine. Yeah, mm. I was confused by that too. Yes, yeah, so that's what makes you tolerable point. to me, though, mate. I don't, I don't mind fans who admit when they don't know things. That's great. You know, yeah. ten-year fan, not, not the world's greatest expert, but you know, guys like Dennis Carnahan, musically talented, have been doing rugby league musicals for like a decade. All I'm saying is, like, <laughs> yeah. this is the ground floor. The musicals <laughs> are just around the corner. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm ready for it. Drop takes. Well, I mean that. What was that? Uh, Dave Warner and the Happy Hookers record I found at the thrift store. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. I'm fucking ready to do some songs about Wayne Pierce. Update that shit. Do it about like I don't know, uh, the Leilua Brothers. That would be an excellent song. Definitely. No, seriously. Why aren't we making music right now? I mean, I we're all obviously gifted. I'll get the bongos and acoustic guitar out if you want. Right. <laughs> oh, I, I did tell John the other day when we were prepping that like the only song I can play on bass is a Nirvana song. I wish I'd withheld that now that we know how he feels about Nirvana. Though. <laughs> I, look, and to be honest, with the you know with a couple more years uh, past that, I've uh, I've softened back to liking Nirvana again, but. Yeah, You've got that, old and less angry. It happens to us all. It's true. I've def- I've one hundred percent mellow. Except yeah. for you, Mitch, who has been young and angry and is now pivoting towards <laughs> yes. old angry. and angry. Yeah. <laughs> on a on a log scale of anger, getting further and further from yeah. zero. Yeah. So I but I mean just just on that card, you mentioned how good you thought Penrith looked last night. Are they to you? The, t- the are they the team to beat to you for you this year? Or do you still like the Roosters or the Eels or? Uh, well, the Roosters are always sneaky. You know, they always pull something out of the hat. But I honestly think that Penrith, and looking back at the game that they played against Parramatta, they're better than Parramatta. I don't know how they lost that game. 
earlier in the season. But especially they were up, what, 10-0 at halftime? Yeah, it was early. like just Wonga Blake flicked a switch for like two minutes. Yeah, he, was crazy. he went hard, yeah. 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 But, yeah, Penrith, I mean, they're just like big boys. You know, they're big and strong. I don't know how to like how else I can describe it. And they're so well-disciplined on defense. Like, mm. completely, like, I mean, did they give up a set restart last night? Uh, probably, that, but, um, yeah, I mean, like, well, there, was I, that, there was that first 10 minutes where the Raiders yeah. had 100% possession for the yeah. first five minutes of the game. Well, and they defended, what, like six sets on their line and then went down the other end and scored in the first set. They had attacking. Yeah, yeah well, they had three right. set restarts. Yeah. To, well, to be fair, I was putting my son to bed for the first 10 minutes of the game. <laughs> so, so were the Panthers at that yeah. point. So Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, yeah, the Panthers, the Roosters, um, I mean, the Storm – they also look very good. They, I mean, they put an ass beating on, on Canterbury yesterday. So, I mean, I mean, I know that's not really, yeah, it's, it's, it's not, not ass beating. <laughs> not really. A, I mean, I guess they didn't win by seventy. So, yeah, yeah, maybe. But they're still. I mean, I guess those three teams, the Roosters, I mean Parramatta, I just feel like are ready to be. They have prelim loss written all over. Yeah, yes, that's I agree with that. Me. Yeah. Especially after that manly performance where they just decided not to show yep, up. Exactly. And got I know that, absolutely and, dicked. Yeah, and they were down some players, whatever. You still should beat a manly team that's totally decimated by injuries. Yeah. You know, if you're like the hot shit premiership favorites, you should be able to go anywhere and win. But, yeah. No. Power are doing that thing where they're they're winning the games they're supposed to win, but like, you know, yeah. throughout the season, you know, beating Newcastle by six a few weeks ago, losing to Manly, as you said, then they won what they beat the Tigers by ten. Uh, and then was it? They just struggled. Yeah, two over the Bulldogs. Like none of those are convincing yeah, wins. They're just mm. winning the games they're supposed to. But they, you know, the Penrith at that point they're blowing teams off the park. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, it's hard to maintain that momentum for Penrith to be this good for so long. But it does look like Parramatta are a team that'll get beaten in the prelim when someone else steps up. Whereas yeah. Penrith are already at that other gear, and someone has to meet them to beat them. Totally. Mm. Yeah. Like they're setting the high water mark right now at this stage in the season. Like, yeah. Right. There's not. There's not much left. So. I mean, yeah, Penrith looked like like the odds-on favorite in my mind. I guess, yeah. And it is, the, it is, as you say, they they have this. There will be tears, like because yeah, their fans yeah, seriously totally. believe in them this season. And you worry about teams peaking too early, but I mean, there's only seven weeks till the finals because of how short the season is. So. Yeah, which is completely fucking bizarre, isn't it? It is right. We have to do MVP voting again in like two weeks. We feel I feel oh. like I did that yesterday. I mean, to have to think. And then, uh, and yeah, the Panthers have a pretty decent draw from here too. Like they've got the Warriors, Sharks, Tigers, Broncos, and then the only other strong team they play, they play the Eels, and then Cowboys, yeah. Bulldogs. It's it's realistic for them to to not lose a game for the rest yep, of the totally. season. Totally. Like, who's going to beat them? Yeah. yeah. I feel like, um, and do you guys agree that like I think Souths play Manly in two weeks' time? If Souths win that game, do you feel like the top eight's just about set? Yeah. Um, yeah. Sea Eagles have kind of really fallen off but i don't feel like you know anyone's really kicking away with that eight seventh eight spot but it does feel like at that point it'd be settled because i don't think the tigers have it in them anymore with harry grant injured no. and then the, i don't think the warriors are making a late charge either so it does feel like that that eighth spot seventh to eighth is battle between three teams which is the south sharks and uh manly to me i think knights and raiders are pretty secure and it's it's bizarre talking about how we don't think the Raiders are that great right now and all their injuries and they're still sitting happily in fifth even after yeah. last night <laughs> yeah well I mean if Cronulla wins today they get they get leapfrogged but do. I don't I don't think Cronulla is going to beat Parramatta today you so, hope not no I hope not but you know like I said Parramatta could totally just lie down like they did yeah. last week you know so it's um 
Yeah, but it is weird though. Like, I mean, we've, I mean, obviously we didn't, couldn't factor in Tom Tavoyevic getting injured, but Manly, I think we were all, Mitch and I both picked them to make the grand final at the start of the season. And we were very, very high on them. And it just seems like now they could miss the finals, which would have, yeah. like, it's crazy, especially given, like, they were really good for the first couple of weeks of the season as well. So, like, yeah, I mean, they just, I mean, that, that, basically since that, they got that, they got that game sort of taken away from them against Parramatta with that awful call. Like they've just really sort of never really bounced back from that. And I, yeah, it's, it's, I'm actually, I would be mildly surprised at this point if they made the finals, which is insane for a team that I thought would make the grand finals yeah. six months ago. The, and, we were so, and we were also high on, and we were also high on Desi, like through our voting and through the start of the season being like, oh, he's such a great coach. And then they've just completely done. Well, yeah, I find so quickly. depth is overrated very often in rugby league, but mainly mm. are that team at three injuries. This is what they look like. I, <laughs> think, I genuinely think that, um, like we, we talk about like the Knights in their heyday and how they were the biggest one-man team of all time with Johns. Manly with Tom, they're not obviously not at that level, but mm. they're, I think, the slam dunk contender of any team in the NRL right now where they're a one-man team, I think. Yeah, well, they're kind of people are forgetting. Mm. I understand, like, he's not going to play this year, but they're forgetting that they went to the season with Manazi Fino being their first choice hooker. So at this point, they're missing their first choice hooker, their first choice 5'8, and their fullback. And then they're having issue, injury issues. Like, Ethanol Blake got hurt again. Like, they're missing really key players. And they're a team that only has six or seven really key players, and they're missing some of them. But Tommy Turbo, as you said, like, he changes their fortunes. Like, it's flick of a switch without him, the difference it makes in that team, because their structures are so based around his success and like the drop as well. It's not even the fact I think he's the level of like a Joey Johns one man team. The drop from Tommy Turbo to Brendan Elliott is massive. Like this yeah. Bruce Pappenhausen and Nico Hines does a really good job when he comes in. The 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 Seagulls lose Tommy Turbo and their best hope is a solid game from Brendan Elliott. You know? What what do they call that? Call that wins above replacement? He's yeah, yeah, okay. oh, yeah. yeah. He's like a season above replacement. Yeah. <laughs> it'll be it'll be interesting to see what Manly do with him because, as I said, that game against Souths is basically sort of like a if they lose that, they're done almost kind of thing. And that's in two weeks' time, and that's round 15. And Turbojevic was slated for around 15 to 17 returns. So it'll be interesting if they rush him back for that game, knowing that basically if they don't win that game, the season's over. Mm. Do it. Just do what you can. Yeah, do it. See what you can. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's unfortunate. And then at the other end of the table, Mitchell, how worried are you that some uh, kitchen utensils are coming your way? I've been uh, saying that all week. I mean, all season, sorry. Like, people weren't listening to me like after three games after the coronavirus return. People still weren't listening to me that the spoon is a genuine reality for Brisbane right now. One loss since we returned to the comp. Pangai's stupidity again today. Got himself gone for two weeks. You know, going to getting a haircut when he's supposed to be home quarantining yesterday. Sorry, Saturday. It is, like, never get a haircut. I've said it before and I'll say it again. But like they've got a really tough run in from here. Like I was really losing my mind when we weren't jagging wins earlier when we we're playing, you know, teams that were beatable like the Titans or the Warriors. Because now and the run in from here, we have the Raiders next week, the Dragons, which is probably winnable. But then Roosters, Panthers, Titans, again winnable, Eels, Cowboys. But it's not the easiest run in, especially for our record against the other Queensland teams. It's like if we don't the Bulldogs will probably jag another win. Our yeah. four and against is the worst in the league. Thank they need to find two wins in that. Thank God you beat the Bulldogs. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the one, the one week the uh, players were the coaches we won. That was great. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, we, we, we may as well jump into that now because we didn't really have a news podcast schedule. But yeah, your boy, Anthony Seabold, will be away from the team for two weeks. And obviously, I don't want to talk about... From the sounds like it sounds like quite a 
unfortunate personal issue, and we don't want to delve into that. But how do you think the team will perform without him over the next two games? Mate, I, I don't know. I know it's a, it's a serious health issue for Seeds, but I, I do not him he's in, a, in his family. But uh, I, I do think like he's still going to be videoing, you videoing into you know team things every day. He's still the coach, and whilst Peter Gentle, who's a weak assistant, will look after the team the rest of the time. I don't really know if it make much difference. Like, um, Payne guy's a big loss. Probably Joe O back on the edge. Maybe Corey Oates. Like, roll my eyes at that idea. But I feel like the Raiders will absolutely tail them come, this coming week. Because, again, um, Milford's not playing and Brody Croft still plays. Like, they have to lock in that Dragons, Titans and Cowboys. They need to get points there. And I, I think it's just hard. Like, I know the borders are trying... I don't know why they're trying to limp to the end of the year before they sack Seabol. But at this point, they're almost accepting a wooden spoon. If, if we lose to the Dragons and he keeps his job... Yeah. Like, I know he's not even going to be at the game. <laughs> if he loses the dragons and he keeps his job, you've got to ask serious questions. And that's like, the thing, right? Because, like, obviously teams can have bad years, and that's fine. But mm-hmm. when you're the Brisbane Broncos, you have a higher level of, um, I don't know if entitlement, expe- expectation. You have a higher level of finishes 10th. We never finished yeah. below 10th. <laughs> like, the Brisbane Broncos, with their resources and the player pool available to them, should never, ever, ever, ever get the wooden spoon. Ever. Ever. Even with injuries, mm. because we we have we do have a lot of depth, and we and even with, but yeah, we, it looks like we're we're on the brink of that. And you know this the Rabbitohs game on Friday, Seems tried to claim we defended well. I felt like you guys took it easier on us than any other team has so far. You just took the win and w- walked through the game. Like yeah, you, there was forty points there if you want. They also to. Dropped, South dropped the ball cold inside the Brisbane ten like three times as well. Yeah. Also Tom Tom Bird just bombed bombed another try, but you did let him score and you let Mark Nichols score. Yeah, it's and, a tough, uh, tough look. And the, those two tries, that nickel, like the Brisbane team find a new way every week to hit a new low on soft tries conceded. But the Mark Nichols one is like a try be embarrassed under 10s. Yeah. That's a try when the dad's yelling at the other kid's <laughs> dad on the sideline to get his kid off the field. I don't want to rub salt further into the wounds, but after that, Jackson, but I will. Polo, Jackson Paulo's try assist means he now has more try assists than Brody Croft. Which is you know, not a shock at yeah. all. But, Terrible team and such a long road forward from here. Like, I'm kind of exhausted talking about how shit they are, but yeah. people still the whole way through haven't still grasped that they truly are one of the worst teams of the NRL era right now. Like this, Seabold won one game in New South Wales in his tenure. Seabold's oh, like, team that was a two point win over the Sharks. Like we've got pounded down here. Like that's the 58 nil against Parramatta. Was Sorry, really in, in like last year as well. Yeah, including wow. last year. Yeah, yeah. One win in New South Wales in a team. You know, luckily there's only you know half the competition from New South Wales. <laughs> but what is? I'll quickly bring it up in front of me here. What, what his record is? Yeah, okay. So lost to South. Sorry, Roosters round four last year, 36 to four. Lost to Rabbitohs, 38 to six in round eight last year. Lost to Para, 38 10. Uh, lost to Newcastle, 26 12. Then the one win over Cronulla, that 24-22 win over the origin period when Xavier Coates debuted. Uh, lost to the Dogs in the season 30-14. Then lost that final, we all know, 58-0. Then this year, three Central Coast games, and they lost 20-18, 27-6 to to Newies, 26-16, that terrible Warriors team. Yeah. 48-0 to the Tigers, and then against your lot, 28-10 this week. Like, that truly is Newcastle 2016 levels of performance. That's worrying. Mm. Yeah, it's bad. It's real bad, and it's 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 just it, it shouldn't be acceptable for a team of that size. Um, yeah, all for well, But why do, uh, why does everyone want to leave that team? That's the question. I mean, I know they're playing bad, but it seems like bad teams just don't have everyone jump ship. I mean, maybe you can 
shed light on this. It seems like everyone wants to get the fuck out of there, you know? They're miserable, mate. Like, yeah, you know, it's quite obviously they don't like Anthony Seabold. Like, yeah. And you've seen the stuff, even it came out this week now, that the leadership group's even split. Like, if the yeah. guys who are leading the team were split in two, they split the leadership group into... It was a group of seven that yeah. they added Ben Teo to it, so it became eight. And then they just split it like two or three weeks ago into senior and developing leaders. But the senior leaders don't, doesn't have that group hasn't got the vice captains in it. So the vice captains are in the developing leaders group. Yeah. And now the leadership group doesn't get along enough. They don't meet in one group. They meet individually, not with the head coach, with Darren Lockyer. Oh it's like, God. does any of this make sense as any form of organization structure? And yeah. then Darius Boyd, who's one of the leaders who quit on the team a year and a half ago, quit on the leadership group and just gets away with it. He quit the leadership group. Gets his way and plays fullback. Goes on air on Fox Sports last week. Has a dig at Anthony Seabold and still has his job. Like, um, but their boy, like Boyd, got the and I'm, like. What he's saying, like, he doesn't like Seeds and wanted to play fullback that whole time. But like, you're an adult, mate. Like, it was obvious he started playing fullback and he all of a sudden cares again. He's acting like a leader the last two weeks on the field, like talking behind the posts and trying to be a leader. But when he was at center, he was just kicking rocks the whole that time. But like. <laughs> It's on him and it's on the team to let him do that. But it's just a team, mate, like, that nobody is happy there. And as you said, it, there is, has been bad teams over many years that half the players don't want to just walk up and leave. Yeah. But that's just how miserable they are. That the guys like guys who were talking preseason and end of last year about being Broncos lifers and now like sending out, you know, oh, getting that agent to contact the team down in Sydney. You know, can you see what interest is like over there, you know? Pang guys like, oh, I just, I just called Nick Politis to like, you know, have a jab at him about his Broncos shares. Okay. Yeah, yeah sure. Just, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. It's like, <laughs> you know, yeah, what it sounds yeah. like it sounds like the Cleveland Browns. Yes. Like for real, it's like a very Cleveland Browns esque culture, like a fractured leadership group. Uh, like at the Browns, I used to have a friend that worked there, mm. and he just was like, "Yep, there was just like weird uh, inner office affairs, and um, coaches all hated each other. No one wanted to be around. Every player hated each other." So it was just a total mess, and this sounds exactly like that. Yeah, and then that's it. Well, and they're all everyone's talking to the media. Nothing is kept in house anymore. We know yeah. that everything. And then you've got guys like you have Seabold and Carl Morris and Paul White and Lockyer all pointing the finger at each other in the media. It's like, so obviously they're not happy. At, at, as you said they can't be mates yeah. all of a sudden back at training when they're blaming each other publicly. <laughs> yeah. Like, don't you assholes have phones? Like text each other. Like, what are you yeah. doing? You what know? are you doing? Like sing from yeah. the same channel sheet. Maybe don't go on channel nine and blame. And like, you know, as um, Carl Morris is making excuses about the recruitment and then Seabold's like, Oh no, no, there's nothing wrong with the squad. I'm not blaming the squad. I didn't sign. That's not what I signed up for. What all that kind of bullshit. It's like, can you at least like get the one song sheet and at least look functional from the outside yeah this is how bad it looks on the outside you can imagine how miserable and fractured it is on the inside of that joint right now yeah they probably can't even get together to send that memo out so you know i mean that's it you know it just feels like a team that like this off season it'll be like oh seabold's obviously gone it'll be like there'd be new ceos coming in obviously but it feels like there needs to be like they'll sack half of the admin but they're just waiting i don't know why they're waiting but i don't know how darren lockie's still got a million gigs there but he'll probably lose some of them too. Like he's an amazing spot that he's worked himself from like, he's on the board of directors. If you didn't know, he's head, he's part of the recruitment at retention committee. If you guys didn't know that. And then last year he was talking publicly after we got knocked out, you know, he lost 58 nil and talking about how there's a lack of leaders in the playing group and blaming the playing group. 
but it's like he's missing the part of that that's part of his job yeah that's his but, thing yeah. that's his gig like, yeah your job isn't just to recruit people who are good at rugby league it's supposed to recruit a, a functional group that works together and they fit other roles like being leaders and similar but then the resolution the club has that that leadership vacuum was to then hire darren lockyer as a leadership consultant and it's like wait you hired that guy <laughs> to fix the the problem that he created and yeah, and, and then he's trying school. to blame other people for it. Yeah, you know, it's like, exactly. yeah, like, that's good. So he gets three paychecks from the club? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, it's not ideal. No, um, it's, not, it's a whole mess there. Speaking of uh, men of many hats, uh, Phil Gould this week was announced as a special consultant for the New Zealand Warriors after they announced that Nathan Brown would be the new head coach. Mitchell, uh, look, breakups are rarely this public, but... Um, <laughs> Is there anything you'd like to say to your former squeeze, the Warriors, before we, before we sever ties altogether? It is, it is a classic breakup move in the, in the sense of they're like rubbing it in my face and fucking my enemy. Like, and, they're putting, <laughs> and then they're putting it on. Like, yeah, it's like, you know, when you, you break up with a girl or something and then a few weeks later that she's got a photo with like that friend of yours you actually hate on their Facebook feed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is what they've done. The Warrior, Phil Gould tweeting out a Warriors logo. I wanted to physically vomit when I saw that. Like, uh. But uh, mate, I loved, I loved this part of this process though. I spent, if you want to hear, a full, I had a 20 minute rant on the Patreon if you want to go listen to that people. If you want to sign up for patreon.com forward slash NL Boom Rookies, go there, you'll find a rant. But I loved the way Brownie got hired. It's like, if you haven't followed that story, the Warriors, he ruled himself out about eight weeks ago from, from the job. And then uh, through that period, the Warriors are interviewing candidates and they're ruling out guys who didn't meet their criteria. So they ruled out Jeff Toovey. They ruled out the Walker brothers. And they, they offered the job to Todd Payton. And then Todd turned it down on t- and on, pretty publicly on TV. And what Nathan Brown said is he was watching that happen. And he wasn't interested in the Warriors job until Todd turned it down on TV. Oh my God. And so Todd turns it down. And, it's so ridiculous. Yeah, but he gets interested That's... again, right? He gets interested again. And instead of, so as I said, there was a criteria, right? For the, all these coaches, they crossed off. So then instead of Nathan Brown going into this interview process, he just cold calls the owner of the Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> and then the owner of the Warriors, they have a chat for like two or three hours, apparently. And they talk about their vision for rugby league. And then he gets the job. It's like this so. Remind, this reminds me of when, like, your grandfather tells you to just go down to the local mall and hand out resumes. <laughs> Surely they're hiring. Surely they're hiring. Like, I know, like, that's the thing they told publicly. You're telling me, so he just circumvented this whole process you've been doing by yeah. calling the calling the owner and just chatting, you know, rhetoric and bullshit, saying, "Well, we'll sort it out. We'll make it a good club. We've got the same vision. Whatever." Bang, he's in. Fuck the criteria, apparently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You got to be a go-getter. Pull yourself up by your yeah. bootstraps. <laughs> yeah. Very true. <laughs> Yeah. It's like Granddad go. said. Exactly right. But yeah, it, it is a, a terrible thing to go from the, a club I've had that fling for and a thing for for a long time. I was wa- falling out of love, as we all know, over the last year or two. Raiders have filled that void. But uh, the Warriors will now be my number one enemy, which is going to be wow. interesting. Do I say close the borders on the Warriors? Potentially. <laughs> Kick them out. <laughs> Send them home. Get John yeah. Howard on these and, guys. Um, uh, and, and the, yeah, exactly. And what really kills me is like, this whole bullshit talking about pathways. New Zealand has not got a problem reducing rugby players. That is not a problem in New Zealand. The problem is getting them out the Warriors, keeping them there yeah, and nurturing them. them. Hmm. That's then they brought Phil Gould in for pathways. It's like, well, the, the talent's already there. I don't know. He's getting paid for that. And then as you know, Nathan Brown's shown how good he is with young players. They're just all, you know, yeah. they're all fantastic yeah. the last few years. 
Gus is basically the Harry Redknapp of Australia, right, Dale? Yeah, a hundred percent. The only difference is that uh, Harry uh, that Gus doesn't do uh, car window interviews. Car window interviews. I think sh- <laughs> should happen. But he, um, yeah. the rumors were that he had other clubs offering him the same job too. So just consult. What's wrong with rugby league? Jesus <laughs> God. <sighs> well, I mean, you look at Penrith now. Does he have any? Like, is he responsible for any of that success of these kids coming up and playing really well? Is that him? Like, was he, like I Obviously, said... Obviously, he gets some credit for that. He has to. Yeah. Like, they invest a lot of money, but a lot of the point I've had about that investment is, like, they put millions, like, you know, tens, twenties, thirties of million dollars into that youth center yeah. and center of excellence. There is no return on investment in that in rugby league. Like, there's just none. It's just throwing money yeah. down a hole. Like, it's not like if in the, you know, English Premier League or similar, when Manchester City start buying other clubs around the world, they develop a, like a, a development network and they can sell players for transfer fees and whatever and move players around the world. There's no money they're getting back from that center of excellence unless, even if you win competitions. Yeah. Like, because yeah. even if it goes really well, you lose those players for free to other teams. Like, and Penrith is stripping yeah. a lot of that back. And obviously, there's some credit that, Players have come through the systems he developed there. Can't ignore that. But I like to credit the people that are doing the things that are actually there because when he was there, those players were getting shuffled around like deck chairs and kicked out of the joint. The head coach he punted is back there doing this. Mm-hmm. Like, giving him too much credit, I feel like, is just the lazy thing to do if you get me. Yeah, like, it's, yeah. it's patting the bad dog. You're right. It's kind it of is. like he, he's been so destabilizing for, for the sport. Yeah, and, for the, and the league and for the Panthers. Like, I'm just, I'm looking at it now. So they opened the academy in 2016. They spent $22 million on that prior to opening it. Mm. You imagine how much they've spent on, you know, upgrading facilities over the last four years, wages, you know, medical facilities for players, medical treatments for players, all that kind of thing that would go, as you say, that's, they would have spent $30, $40 million on this place. In, it in does an, not in take a, a genius to spend money. But no, exactly, it's true. And also, they're not they're not creating like they're, de- they're players can only be developed up to a certain age. If you get me, yeah. like they're not pi- they're not picking ten year olds out of like local leagues and saying, "Oh, come and work on your technique here." It's completely different because you don't you can't get a kid at ten who is going to be the same mm-hmm. player at you know twenty, for example. Whereas it's I guess it's a different kind of thing to where you're talking about with Manchester City buying lots of players, or buying lots of clubs, and then using mm. all of those development facilities to teach technique, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like it's a different, it's a different set of it's it's apples and oranges. Yeah, yeah. But like the the point that you make about not being able to sell those players on, like effectively, this is just a massive multi-year tax write-off. Like it's millions of dollars yeah. into community facility can then be used by the, the by the Penrith community and by and, the club and by other things. And it, it goes outside, as you say, it goes outside of the financial parity rules that, that they have. So and they never had a problem of getting talent in that. Like there's always no. been a good junior pathway out there. Exactly. And, but as I just said, when Gus was there, he was the guy giving them five-year contracts and sacking them a year later. Yep. So I'm not crediting him for, you know, their first stable off season since he's been gone was this off season. And they kept the same team together. You know, the guys who are still there now deserve that credit. And yep. so Gus obviously played a part, but the whole thing now, people are like, well, he's going to just go to the Warriors and make them the best team in the league as if that actually happened under his watch. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it seems like maybe now that he's gone, that's like a blessing in disguise. Now they're starting to thrive that he's gone yeah. and he's not hindering things. So, yeah. yeah. But I yeah. don't know. 
if he built if he built some system from the ground up with no money and found all these players, I would be praising him. But as you like, I said, it is pretty easy to take someone else's money and throw it at something. Yeah, pretty easy to take twenty two million dollars of the club's money and go put it into something. You yeah. know, it doesn't take any genius. Me or you could go like, yeah, well, I could build like a pretty good thing for twenty. We million need dollars. more. <laughs> we need more. We need more weights machines. Somebody yeah. spent a million dollars on weights machines. All right, yeah. now we've got stronger players. Okay, good. Yeah, good. Yeah. That's it. Okay. I would just spend it all on cryogenic chambers. <laughs> and, and, head, and headgear. Like, yeah. Headgear and cryogenic chambers and nothing else will be fine. Um, old and have no concussions. Yeah. <laughs> we're, very, we're very cold, but we're very cognizant of mind. And that's what, <laughs> and that's what wins premierships. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so... Uh, we've come to the end of another episode. Uh, first of all, before we uh, get out of here, I'd like to thank all of our uh, top-level patrons from our NRL Boom Rookies Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com forward slash NRL Boom Rookies. And they are Jack Snape, Thor Lakot, Jace G, please don't name me in bold, uh, Tom Hardy, <laughs> Bert Andrews, Jason, Wayne Ritchie, Simo Alley, Ty, Warwick Ahern, Roxanne Clark, Michael Murray, Carlo Tyson, Maddie McPherson, Dan Cullinane, and... Dave, uh, is there anything you'd like to say to your fellow Raiders fan, Dave, John, while you're here? Hmm? Oh, my... Well, um, <laughs> well, to Dave, I mean, no, I don't want to say any of this, people. I mean, I'll, I'll just private message them on Twitter and they'll, uh, they'll know exactly how I feel. Put it out in public. Tell him what you think of him just like you did Nirvana. Fuck that guy. He's completely pissed listen, poor. He doesn't listen, Dave, the test a lot of, of A lot of people think that, that pod, those podcasts were great, but they were actually dog shit. <laughs> fuck, fuck that yeah. Mark Latham joke. It doesn't stand yeah. the test of time. Fuck it's, your bit. It's terrible. Yeah, fuck it. You know, the reason I wanted to come on this shit anyway was just to fucking, was basically to out do Dave. That's um, fair. I just follow him around downtown throwing fucking pencils at the back of his head anyway. So yeah, we've got and some what? Raiders one upmanship by the way. We've got Dave, you, Campo. Campo's furious with us that we keep the Raiders fan. Really? Yeah. Well, where is he? Why could like what the hell is stopping him from coming on the show? Mate, I can't even open my mail anymore, mate. They're down there. Yeah. <laughs> um not to mention we've got Jack making our graphics for our MVP awards as well. It's Ooh, great. Jack we're Ronan. Pi- we're pivoting in towards we're basically just a Raiders podcast. Well, not and not, really and not just ma- not just making our not just making our graphics, but consensually making our graphics, as opposed Ooh. to making graphics and then and having them stolen them and putting a watermark. Yeah. Who did this? <laughs> Six emojis. I don't know. Probably the person you stole it from, man. Oh dear. All right. Well, John, thank you very much uh, for coming on. We really appreciate it. Say goodbye. Man, it was wonderful. Goodbye, everyone. Say goodbye, Dale. That's all. And say goodbye, Mitchell. Goodbye, Mitchell. And it's goodbye from me. <laughs> <laughs>